Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Dan Murko, co-founder and project lead at Niteo, a successful bootstrap SaaS studio. Among other things, he will share with us how they financed their first project, the dangers of early success, and how to manage a completely remote team. Hi, Diane. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I must say that I was quite surprised when I first heard, let's say, of your company, because in our let's say, entrepreneurial community were kind of under the radar and you had one of the biggest and fastest growing projects in Slovenia at the time. And more importantly, you were bootstrap. But how did your, let's say, entrepreneurial story started? It's been a while since. I think I had my first e-commerce shop in Slovenia in 2005, probably even a year earlier, but that wasn't even, you couldn't even call it a, an e-commerce shop because it was, Please email me and I'll send you stuff. Back then, it was a, a car model shop. So, uh, you know, those you could buy car models from me. And I, I have some bittersweet memories of that time. That was a very kind of one of the first proper e-commerce shops back then. Uh, so that was nice. Like, I learned a lot. But at the same time, if I started any other shop in any other niche that wasn't, you know, like really, really tiny, I would probably build a, a proper company even um, in a few years just back then. How old are, were you at the time? I started in late high school, so I was 18. Okay. I, th- I think I, I opened uh, my sole proprietorship when I, when I turned 18. So this was, let's say, first, uh, not failed story, but let's say maybe a wrong niche. Yeah, wrong, wrong niche. Yeah, um, yeah. That that was kind of the first thing. Uh, then I met uh, um, my current co-founder Nate, and back then uh, two other co-founders, and we started Nitel. And at the same time, we also started the uh, Young Entrepreneur, uh, a nonprofit, which is uh, now also doing really, uh, really good by, uh, but not under uh, our leadership. So it's obvious that uh, you had a lot of energy. At the time, let's yes, say, uh, <laughs> but let's say uh, maybe not so much focus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, because there are a lot of projects and so on. So what what, what was Niteo at the beginning? So it was just a standard uh, website building agency, which we didn't do really well at that. Uh, we then found uh, we became a kind of a tech partner for a startup that failed. We lost ton of time there. Also a bit of money, but I think it's always the time that's really the the thing that really annoys you. The lost time, not as much the lost money. Uh, and then we kind of, once we saw that we're going to have to find something else, um, I was always kind of um, dabbling in the make money online niche. It was always, uh, it was interesting to see because how they do sales is really interesting. You have a lot to learn, even if the products aren't there with the promises. It's still really uh, interesting. and So at the time, this was a combination of SEO. Uh, SEO, yeah, mostly SEO. Yeah. Email, email sequences. 
Oh, back then, I think that was in 2008 or nine. Uh, that was mostly, yeah, that was, SEO was the most popular thing. Google was still very easy to manipulate back then. And you sold digital products or something? Like yeah, of course. Uh, when I when I sold uh, when I sold the the e-commerce shop um, and focused fully on Intel, we didn't dabble into into physical products much anymore. Okay, so they, did you then enter the this niche as a company or? Yeah. So yeah, this was this was a focus uh, for the company. So. Uh, once we left the startup, we went into make money online niche. We started a small project there. That was about five to ten thousand dollars per month, which wasn't too bad back then. And then we found, yeah, we found other stuff to do. And uh, we also mostly Nates back then did uh, a lot of tech consulting, which actually kept us afloat. Uh, but that was never kind of our idea. We always wanted to have our own product that you don't need to exchange time for money because that we already knew that it's not scalable and it's not something we want to do. Okay, so this was like an interim period where you search for a yeah. product idea. Yeah. So, and and then, yeah, what was that in fast forward years, which is it's always funny looking back, right? You have, <laughs> to, you have to live through those few years, right? But when you look back, you just say, yeah, five years later, and it's a lot easier to say than to live through those yeah. uh, really painful years. This, this, these are all overnight success stories, let's say. They happen after 20 years of work. Yeah, something like that. So, yes. So, a startup, we started in 2009. It failed in later when we left it, but it was about 2013 or 2014. SEO, again, is our own option for doing stuff. And that's where I actually found the uh, idea of uh, blog networks, uh, which was which were all the rage back then. Um, but it was really not uh, kind of a; it was a very manual process. It was a very cumbersome process. You always, you had to go, and I actually wanted to do it. I, I don't think I even opened one hosting provider uh, hosting account when I was like, "This is not going to work." Like. I am too lazy for this. Like I can't go and open 20 hosting accounts and then install a blog on each of them and then add con like that's just too much. So I, I think I, I discussed the idea with a few people back then, including uh, obviously the, uh, Nate, who, who thought that the process can definitely be automated. Uh, we also had uh, a programmer back then that we found that was really good with WordPress, who's still with us now, actually did a lot of the the work on on EBN and that's how kind of the idea started is from so EBN is easy blog networks yes or, yeah okay so the idea started let's say with you noticing inefficiency yeah but did you then did any let's say of this lean startup methodology like customer discovery interviewing stuff or you just said okay this is the idea it should work did some conversations but when I was go as far as to call it actual researcher interviews. I did have a few conversations, but it definitely felt like when I tried to do it, it was really painful. So I was kind of guessing, yeah, I'm probably not the only one that's trying to do this and it's just overly complicated. Yeah, it's the kind of work that actually wastes time of a capable people, let's say. So it's it's like copy-paste work that you should remove from let's say, everyday job, if possible, let's say, because it's actually not meaningful in any way. So, let's say, so then you, let's say, had this idea and you started on a project. Let's say, did you have a goal in mind at the beginning, let's say, so like a minimum viable product or something like that, or you just started to automate stuff and then see when 
it's ready. So we were, I write, both me and I actually write our own personal journals. So it's also fun now to look back into those uh, days and, because I have at least weekly journals from back then. And it wasn't as much as a minimum viable product. It was as much as like, we need money right now. <laughs> uh, there's like, we need to launch this. There's no more time. There's no more money. Like we need this to work right now. Uh, so it was like, we, we did as much as we could and then launched it. Obviously back then it was looking back. It was uh, definitely not a full product yet. It, it especially lacked on the most important features, but it was, good enough to start and it was still a better option than the alternative of doing manual manual work and back then i think we were just three months after launched after a competitor so that was really annoying because we were a lot better and then we also had to do uh, facebook group wars and flaming and and go through all of that uh so yeah that was also a lot of fun but in the end i think um yeah, the better product definitely prevailed. So that's also something we learned. You mentioned that you launched. How did the launch actually look like? We knew from the start, especially as I mentioned, uh, we did have problems with actually getting revenue before. So we knew that we need a part. We needed a partner. So we found a partner that had a name. Uh, we gave them a percentage of profit share and project. And yeah, he gave the project the credibility, and he had a mailing list. So that's how we actually started. Okay. Smart, really smart. So somebody from the niche, let's say, uh, let's say that was authority in the niche. Yes, and they actually reached out to us. So that was also we 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 knew each other before, like we met once or twice. They were they were friends with a friend of mine. So we kind of had a good idea of what we're getting into. But again, it was also not a lot of options. It actually came out really really good. So I'm really happy how that uh, whole partnership went. So this first partnership, let's say, uh, generated what a few hundred of clients or a few tens. I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually remember, but we started with the webinar that did a few. What was it? A few ten, ten, I think, clients. But we constantly emailed their list, and then Facebook groups were really popular back then. Uh, the most fascinating thing, looking back right now, is that. There were Facebook groups that only where you only posted ads. So, you know, ads for your product. And there were Facebook groups with thousands and thousands of people who were watching and looking at those ads. But this was special specialized ads or general purpose? No, it was just a Facebook group and you posted about your product in there. And it had thousands of, of potential customers in there. And you actually got customers from there. That was the most like, you, you can't imagine doing that right now. Yeah, it's actually actually it's called product hunt. <laughs> yeah, or you could call it that, but it was the best thing there was it was specialized for SEO. So that was ah, like okay. special niche targeted, just like exactly what they were looking for. And people uh, people are uh, looking for products like ours and they then actually signed up for it. So that was that was also a very big deal for us in the beginning. And then the third thing was the affiliates. So we came, uh, our previous product, we did a lot of affiliate uh, marketing. So we we signed up um, a lot of affiliates and we worked with them. And, you know, in that make money online niche, you always gave at least 50%. So you kind of learn that you need to do, that you give a lot, but you get in return more or less a converted customer. But okay, uh, is this a lifetime commission or is it one time, let's say? Lifetime. Lifetime, like, oh. Uh, 
yeah. it's expensive. On EBN, we do 20 to 30 percent, uh, which is still very good because we have uh, now that we have the numbers, we know that that still brings a ton of revenue for us and for the for the affiliate. So yeah, what I want to say that that was kind of the our third channel that really brought us uh, revenue. And after about a year or so, we did also a lot of content marketing. Again, had a Facebook group where we posted um, our blog post that got picked up and people learned from us. We were really trying to do uh, things database. And since we already had thousands of blogs back then, uh, and by then uh, we could actually give some uh, recommendations based on that. Plus, the SEO space was really... Um, it was really non-technical, but you had a lot of people ex- trying to explain things and they clearly had no idea of what they're talking about. <laughs> like They had no idea how internet works, but they were still explaining how, how Google works and everything. So what we did is ask uh, Nate and other uh, developers in the company to you know, help us explain those things. And then I, I kind of tried to even translate them more into a non-technical language. And I think that that really resonated with a lot of people there. Yeah, there's a lot of people that start, let's say, with SEO on their own project. And then when they are the phase where they don't know yet what they don't know, they start educating other people, let's say. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the problem with Google and all of those things is everything is speculation. Yeah. Like, you can test, you can try things, but you're always just speculating and you just have to be aware. So what we didn't try to explain what Google does, we tried to explain how DNS works, how IPs work, uh, what are uh, server headers. Uh, it, this was mostly all related to people are always paranoid about uh, uh, footprints on blog networks. Uh, so we tried to explain how you can actually get footprints and how you can get footprints, which was a lot of discussions about that. Uh, at that time, I actually, let's say, noticed your project and I was really surprised let's say, because there was another, let's say, hosting provider from the region that I didn't know about. And I actually know you in passing at the time, let's say. So, yeah. I, and you grew like bonkers, let's say. I was really, I was really yeah. impressed, let's say. It was... That was, um, yeah, again, really funny to look at my journal back then because I thought it was really slow. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was writing like, why is this going so slow? And now looking back is... It was, it was pretty amazing growth. Like for a non-funded company, um, like we grew really fast. Um, and I think that's what happens when you have a really good uh, product market fit and we really hit it. Um, like uh, also definitely a lot of luck back then. Um, but it's definitely the... When you really hit a big pain point and people want and need to use that and it's so much better than anything else that's, or any alternative, then you can really see the growth, and that's kind of that's that happened after about a year. Uh, we got that word of mouth going. So the first year was, as mentioned, the, those three channels: so affiliates, partners, and and uh, Facebook groups. And then what really picked up was the uh, word of mouth. And then we slowly, oh, some of our competitors dropped off. But they did some stupid mistakes that cost them a lot of clients and we more or less became the the top or top three providers for for the whole niche. Yeah, uh, it it was also really interesting talking to you at the time because let's say my personal theory, or maybe I picked it up somewhere and just copied it, so maybe it's not mine, uh, but was that it's much easier to go, let's say, down the stack, let's say, to build a product. So let's say hosting providers, let's say, have some challenge sometimes, let's say, to build a new product. 
because they don't understand the customers. But let's say in this case, let's say you were a, let's say a consultant, you knew a make money niche, make money online niche, and you knew the needs of the customers, and it was much easier for you to learn the, a little bit of hosting business. And uh, of course, we built upon existing hosting infrastructure. So it's not it's the whole idea of. Uh, of of the product is that you're you're hosting it on you know Amazon on uh, uh, Azure uh, DigitalOcean uh, host like large hosts and so we build upon that and that's where our kind of our added value was was to actually bring all of your hosting providers different hosting providers different servers into one dashboard. It's actually a lesson that let's say also large hosting providers now are learning. Let's say so GoDaddy is migrating everything to AWS uh, so. Okay, so what does this do, let's say, to the company? So now you are focused on, uh, there's probably no more consultancy. That's where when we started running our money. So that was in 2014. In the beginning of 2014, we cut all of our consulting, which is, I think, 70% of revenue back then. And then we had about, probably not even a half a year of the runway to get EBN launched. Oh, so you actually took some risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was definitely like, we want to do this. We don't want to do consulting. Let we should make this work somehow. Yeah, uh, I remember the feeling when we, let's say, uh, exit the, ag- the agency work. Let's say we also had digital agency at the time. It was one of the best feeling. No more projects for clients. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's let's say, a burden fell off of my chest. Let's say it felt so good for like three months. I was flying. Nothing yeah. changed, just no more, no more clients. Let's say no more projects. Okay, but then let's say now you have a successful project. Did it stop growing? Uh, what happened? Because I know that you then have projects after. Yeah, so the benefit of a small and focused niche is that you can get traction really fast, but it also plateaus. Uh, so I think we're still growing, but it's single-digit percentage, and it's mostly from our existing customer base, not from our from new new users. So yeah, it's it's after I don't know after a few years, it the growth stop and plateau, and then you know. I think a lot of our a lot of entrepreneurs are just builders, so we we like to build stuff. Uh, so we found yeah we found other things to build, which we're still working on right yeah. now. What next? Next one was uh, WooCart. Yes, WooCart is um, so. I I think yeah we got arrogant. Definitely we got arrogant with our first proper success. Even though you know it, it took us a long time to get to there, but then you still kind of well I did. I did one project, so I can do another one, right? Yeah. So uh, it's definitely we definitely got a, a slap in the face. Do you know uh, of the saying, uh, "Once you're lucky, twice you're good"? Oh, I definitely know. <laughs> yeah, and three times you're an expert. <laughs> yeah, so we're still like we're still just lucky. Um, and, and of course, I, I definitely can't. Uh, I was definitely aware, and I'm still aware that it's definitely always there's some bit of luck. As I mentioned, we were actually running really low on money. And I think if we launched or if we started everything two months later, I'm not sure how we would actually get out of that. So yeah, new project, uh, got a bit of arrogant. It chose too big of a too big of a, of a market. Yeah. Uh, way underestimated the technical requirements of the project, like way underestimated. We're talking about years of underestimation. Uh, so, yeah. so what, what was the idea? The idea was very similar to EBA. It was just, um, so WordPress has been growing and still growing and probably run the majority of the internet very soon. There are, I think, over 40% right now. Yeah. 
And WooCommerce is the most popular plugin for e-commerce for them, which consequently also makes it the most popular e-commerce platform. But there's no specialized hosting for it. So there's a pretty natural, so why don't we make a specialized WooCommerce hosting? And yeah, we did. The theory was there. We chose a primary USP, which was a special type of staging that allows to merge the live in production, which no, still no other hosting right now has it. And uh, yeah, that was kind of it. But I did think the first problem we did was, as mentioned, underestimated how much tech actually goes into setting up everything to be on par with existing competitors. So what we did with DBN, we were actually, uh, even when we launched, we were one of the better solutions and we didn't need that much time to uh, to build that solution. Yes. Uh, with WooCart, you have, well, you have GoDaddy, you have WP Engine, you have Flywheel, you have Kinsta. Those are all like by then already that we were talking about three years ago. They're already polished companies. They already have polished products. Yeah. So to get to that point, to just be competitive, you spend a lot of time and a lot of money. They're a little bit more general, but let's say a lot of their solutions are also useful for, uh, let's say, WooCommerce. Yeah, they, they are good enough. So that's what that's what we also way underestimated is how hard it is to get over good enough. To be 10 times better, let's say. Yeah, just, you know, if your market has good enough solutions, you have to be not just a bit better, but a lot better. Because they also have to have a really good motivation to move from, you know, a billion-dollar company like WP Engine that gives them uh, 24-7 support that, uh, you know, has been on the market for 10 years. And... Now they find a small company doing WooCommerce hosting. Like, eh, there's a risk there, right, for them. You really need to be a lot better to get that customer. Yeah, it's also this difference that this is then mission critical when, uh, let's say, PBN, it's not. Yes, exactly. So definitely a hard thing. Yeah. It's, we require a lot more trust than uh, on WooCard than we do on EBM because it is, their, it is the money that they're getting actually into the company. So it's it's the shop. It's... It's where you get your money. While uh, PBNs are kind of a support thing for your business. So if, uh, let's say, uh, EBN took you a few months uh, to launch, uh, how long did you took uh, for WooCart, let's say, to go from the idea to launch, soft launch? Two and a half years. Damn. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like, as I said, there's so many, I can say fuck-ups, right? <laughs> yeah. There were so many, there were so many fuck-ups that we did. And... Uh, it's, I think it, it humbled us. We're doing new projects. Uh, we're planning on doing new projects this year and we're definitely going a way more humble into the whole thing. And I think it's also a good thing. Like you don't want to get overconfident and we got, and we paid for it in, in cash and time again. There's one else, let's say like, uh, thing from experience in engineering, let's say that a good engineer is after the third project, because usually in the first one, let's say they make a lot of rookie mistakes. So in the second one, they want to do everything right and they yeah. over-engineer it. And oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what we did. That's exactly what we did. We over-engineered stuff. Obviously, hindsight's 2020. But the USP that I said that we have, you could build that separately from hosting. So why did we go and build the whole hosting thing when we have, the, when we have that USP? Like, just make that a project 
that's what we're actually doing. That would be, even though we're potentially cannibalizing our own uh, project right now, yeah. we think we 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 want to do it because Wukar is not going as well as we think. Even if it is cannibalizing, it's also opening us to a different market that you know on other hosts because those a lot of people actually asked us uh, on Wukar, can I get just your staging solution? And we're like, no, you have to have everything. Uh, but yeah, in the end, if if we took a few steps back and actually said, okay, what is USP and what is that core problem that we're trying to solve? And can we make just that a project? And in, instead of building, you know, DNS hosting, logs, uh, error tracking, uh, a bunch of other things, we should have just made that. Well, let's say customer care probably. So, of course. Right? And, but as I said, Hindsight's 2020, and I, I think, especially for myself, I've noticed, especially now that um, I'm not on ops, on operation, company operations, so uh, we have a manager that's doing that. I don't take enough time to actually cool down, think, and just go for a walk, uh, because I still have that feeling that I'm being lazy if I just go for a walk, but then at the same time, uh, you look at decisions you made, and if you just maybe took a day off and thought about them, you wouldn't make such a mistake. I'm really trying to balance that, that I need a clear and uh, relaxed mind when I'm doing big decisions. And I think that was also one of the things that we just maybe rushed too fast into the into the project without actually thinking about it, without giving us ourselves like a week. Let's think like what are the options and we just started building. Yeah, uh, I know that feeling really, really, really well. Let's say I did a turnaround of company in Croatia. Let's say, and it was really operational. I, I was tasked with finding a new CEO. Let's say restructuring the teams and so on. And then I did it, and I was faced also of operations. I was just a board member, as so not so operational. And this feeling that I'm not actually doing any work, and that I need to take time to think. To let, not to think, but to let the idea to incubate in me. I don't, you know what yeah. I mean. It felt so wrong at the beginning. Let's say so. Yeah. I have to constantly remind myself: this is actually what your role is right now. Let's say. Yeah, we do, we're not that many people. We're ten people, but everyone's or everyone's highly paid. Everyone's really smart. Everyone like so. When you're managing, let's say, even five or six people, and you're giving the direction. So how you give that direction is really important because you're like, let's say, if they're paid 5,000 per month and that's 50,000 per month for 10 people, if you put them on the wrong direction for three months, that's a really fucking expensive mistake. Yeah. Like you've spent 150,000 you know, euros because you maybe didn't take a week to go for a walk, to go for for uh, to go on vacation, and something to really, uh, as you said, incubate the idea. Really think about what's the best direction. That's that's kind of I still struggle with that, and uh, but I'm trying to be more conscious about it. I also wanted to ask, let's say, how did the go to market, let's say, approach uh, differed from uh, EBN and Vukar? Well, we didn't have a partner again a bit of arrogance we thought we we should do this alone we 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 want all of the percentage of the project we did a we did similar things we did uh, facebook ads facebook groups search ads like by now we tried everything and we haven't found that specific channel that would really work for us 
we have a few theories why you know why why we're still behind and we're still testing them, but we'll probably need a few more months to see. And we are actually now potentially looking for a partner on 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 the project to give us what we still actually need after so many years is the credibility and some access to customers, exactly what we did on EBM. If we started again, I think that's one of the main things that we would probably do. And uh, let's say, and also notice, let's say, uh, that you now have one more product on your website, let's say, Kafka. Yeah. So we we experimented a few years back, actually, with, uh, with machine learning. I'm not as much involved in that project, but kind of the idea was when GPT-2 launched from OpenAI, uh, you could actually start, and even I think, I'm not sure if we started on GPT-1 or GPT, I think we started on that one as well and tested it. But yeah, the idea is that uh, when GPT-2 launched, you could actually get AI machine learning written content. Uh, so you you feed it something, you feed it, and then you get back content supposedly you know you expect it to be good based on on how much you train it and so on so we we went back and obviously there's a lot of uh, requirements for content in the SEO space so we thought this is a pretty solid fit for for EBN customers and other people in the SEO space so we tried experimenting with that uh, we have a few users there and it's it's been a hit and miss it it's still um even though there were a lot of um, articles written on how you know machines are going to replace journalists, uh, it's not there. Uh, it's, it still requires a lot of input. The GPT-3 that OpenAI launched is interesting. It's though it's commercial API only, so and you have to be approved, and your product has to be approved. And there are already a lot of uh, really interesting products in in that space. But they're also all working in the direction of an assistant. So you input something and then it it outputs not the whole thing that you might want, but shortened, like, for example, you input your product information um, and it outputs the one of those marketing frameworks that works really well for, for products I tested. Uh, one is ADA, which is... I forgot to remember, attention, interest. Interest, desire, action. Yeah, so, and it is put, outputs that. And that actually works really well. So it's a good assistance to you when you write, but it will never, it, it doesn't look like a few years maybe, but definitely doesn't look like it can fully replace a writer yet. So what our Kafka does is it, it actually does fully written articles. So you input a seed and then you get, article written on that topic. So, so I have a feeling that this was more like a scratch on each project, not so much find a niche project. This was like, we we know we have a market. We know this is interesting. We know there's a need for content. Let's see if we can fit all of those together and, and, and get a, and get an interesting project going. But yeah, it, it's, not, it's not, I wouldn't call it a successful project. I would call it a successful experiment. It does bring some money in, but it's um, the quality that people expect is not what they get, so that's what is bra- what is slowing down the project. There's a few things we can try, but there's not much we can try because it's still based on on other people's uh, le- learning uh, models. So, where are you now, let's say, as an organization? Are you are you focused on improving existing projects, or are you looking for a new ideas? Uh, for better or for worse, we're still looking for new projects. Uh, so, 
Uh, we do, as I mentioned, we do have plans and uh, actually in a month, we meet up, less than a month, in two weeks, we meet up for a biannual meetup. So uh, we'll be discussing new projects because we think that these two, Wukarn and Kafka, are not living up to their potential. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what, what, what comes out of this. So it's a really good transition to the next topic because you mentioned the biennial meetup. Let's say uh, we didn't uh, yeah. mention it until now, but you are actually remote first company. Yeah, and have been for a few years. How did this come about? Let's say Nate's always had uh, he he serves and he always didn't he didn't like the winter at all in Slovenia. So he was always usually went to Spain over the over the winter. Um, so that was that was one motivation, just one founder not wanting to be in uh, in one uh, space or one location all all the time. Then the next thing was uh, people we got like in two thousand what was it twelve thirteen fourteen. It's not like you could get you know good people just from Ljubljana and get them into an office, especially when you're focused uh, you're focused somewhere else. Uh, so for example. For our, one of our previous projects, we found a writer from Philippines um, and we, we really uh, got along great with her. And she actually is now the, the company manager, so the managing director of the company because she grew with the company, started as a writer, went into support, then as a support manager, then you know managing projects and now also managing the company operations. And yeah, we, we just, you know, it's, it's really hard to find someone local and I think it's when you're not focused on a location you can really find and develop people that come to you and you see that you have a good you know that they fit, they fit into the culture well that uh, you get along great and uh, that they like it uh, yeah. there so I think that's a lot easier to do when you're not focused on location or language or whatever. But probably let's say the company is then built up a little bit differently. Let's say there are some special challenges. One one of the main things, and we did that from the beginning because I read the, was that uh, the emis yeah. uh, by Mark Gerber. I think I read that when I was like 19, and I, it really stuck with me. So documented processes. Nate is also very uh, kind of technical and uh, he liked that idea from the beginning. So we had documentation of everything from the beginning. All of our processes are documented. All of our meetings have checklists. Uh, everything has a routine uh, that the routine has a routine, you would call it. So meetings that need to happen, happen with, with a checklist. So that you kind of that you reserve the time for you know thinking innovation for uh, you know just programming uh, that your mental energy is there not on how you will run the meeting or where do I find uh, specifics about uh, uh, about how our, our company for example uh, does salaries or vacations or things like that. So we have all of it documented. We have a public handbook on GitHub published. Uh, as mentioned, I'm a checklist. I'm a big fan of checklists. There's also a good, really good book about the topic. Um, so yeah, I think what we really did well is we got the this processes, documentation, and everything. And obviously, there's completely separate part that Nate does uh, that he leads with uh, uh, with documenting code, testing code, and all of that. But I'm not involved in that as much. But it's definitely the same uh, the same philosophy. So. This is com- company, let's say, way of doing from the beginning. You didn't, uh, let's say, you didn't do it uh, 
three years after Okinawa, we document everything, but it was from the start. It was from the start, yeah. And we, well, what we also did, I think it's it's really important. You, if you if you have people in the company and you learn something, you have, for example, your own support, you don't go into support and then write documentation for that person that's in support. You always, you know, have them write the documentation. So it was always like, Please document your work, whatever it is, document it. So when you go on vacation, someone else can take over. Um, and I think that also worked really well. So it's not like uh, it's not like me and Nades wrote everything, all of the documentation. I would say it's probably way more that other people wrote it. You trained them how to document. Yeah, I mean, we, we again, we have templates. So we have, uh, you know, user stories for, for the uh, Scrum. I mean, the basic documentation is just write what what people need to know, but just documenting things is really important when you're remote. Yeah. Uh, if people, let's say, went and visit your website, there's also one interesting, uh, let's say, tool there. Let's say it's like salary calculator. Yes. To me, let's say it's really surprising, especially in our culture, it's not so usual to share, even for the people from the same company, uh, the information on their salary with others, let's say. So yeah. how did you come to this idea and what does it actually solve? Because there was probably some problem that you were solving. It. So the idea is that you, when you come to Nitel, you choose um, which position you're applying to, what is your location, and the system outputs your salary and there is no negotiation. So this has been in the works for a couple of years. We're definitely not the first to do this. There's been others, uh, small companies, uh, mostly also software companies uh, where we learned from. And I think what we're solving is it has to be, in Nates and my opinion, it has to be, you have to earn your salary, which also, which means that if your work is good, you need to get that salary, not because you negotiated a better salary. So not because you're a smooth talker and, or, uh, or anything, you know, or not, you don't get a smaller salary because you're shy and you can't, you know, you don't want to speak up. You don't want to talk to your boss. We try to make it more meritocratic. So it's, you're getting that salary because you're, uh, you're doing that work. And this is controversial in some uh, spaces, but we also differ salary on, based on location. If you're in a city or country that is more expensive, you get a house salary. And if you're in a city or a country that is uh, cheaper, you get a lower salary. And this was actually agreed upon everyone when me, we also do a lot of this when me and Nate are not around. So people agreed that you should actually get. Because we should probably mention beforehand is we also have full transparency over how the company done a company number. So we have monthly finance reports. Everyone sees the profit and loss statement. Everyone sees the balances. So that's actually a prerequisite before you can have a salary system. Um, so once you get into company, you're onboarded. You more or less see how the company works. You see all of the numbers. So. The, when people see the numbers, they also understand like not everyone can have $10,000 per month because, you know, you can't, the, the company can't support that. The company also needs to make uh, a profit because it, it gives the security to, to the, for the job so that you have a balance if something goes wrong that you, you can take that reserve and, you know, not, not uh, um, fire people. So I think it's when people see the finances, they understand uh, uh, how the salaries, what the, what the company can actually pay out with the salaries. And I think it works really well. And I think that the first thing that also Nate and I agreed from the beginning is 
you know, if you consider everyone you hire an adult, then treat them like an adult. We don't track, like, God forbid, track screenshots or anything like that, even if we're remote. Uh, so it's you want to go on vacation, just tell in advance, make sure that you know someone can cover your work. We trust you and you trust us. And let's 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 just build upon that. Okay. It also works because it's a team between 10 and 15 people, as it's much more accountability. Uh, yeah, I don't know how it works above. I have read a books, one of my favorite books is definitely uh, Maverick. Ricardo Simler. Yeah, Ricardo Zemler, yeah. They did this similar. This was one of the kind of inspirations for, for the whole thing. And I think they did that in Brazil in the yeah. late 80s, beginning of the 90s. And it's, uh, it works up to a few thousand for them. Yeah, it was in a factory setting. And yeah, factory setting. So some people also say, well, you can't do that with low-wage workers, you know, or you can do that only with uh, uh, highly educated people. Well, in that case, they actually, they actually work for them in, in factory setting as well. I was also really inspired by this book. I tried something similar when we still had like a digital agency. I fled miserably. Uh, now looking back, I think it was uh, because I just wanted to implement, let's say, like the end result and I didn't invest enough or anything in reality in edu- educating, let's say, uh, my co-workers at the time. So yeah, uh, I failed, let's say, but uh, it's a really inspiring book and I'm really happy to see that it works for some companies. Two other questions about salary calculator, let's say. So what happens is if somebody relocates? Yes, we had that case a few months back. Uh, their salary changes based upon their new location. So it's like a liability for the company in the future that somebody will can move to the, uh, let's say, higher cost. Yes, and that actually happened, yes. But it's, you know, it goes back to trust. We, you know, they, they actually moved. We still want them. They still want to work with us. And it, the company could still afford it. Um, and obviously, there's there's a lot of research and thought and thinking that went into the the salary calculator. And but it does it does help so much. It's so much better that you're not negotiating because you always have a feeling. At least I always had a feeling when you're talking to someone about salary is you're trying to you're trying to put them somewhere in your company between someone else, right? And then you're assuming, and then you also have to keep in mind that. Well, if someone's doing a better job, where do you put them? Uh, how much bigger of a salary? And now that we actually have every department has uh, five five uh, levels, we kind of have an idea. We have documented what you're supposed to do in each level. And based on that, you're getting uh, promoted. It's an HR tool that usually a much, much uh, bigger company implements. You really did a lot of work ahead. Yeah, and, and I think... The main the main thing with with sharing salaries or people knowing each other's salaries, I don't see that as a problem. It hasn't been a problem yet, and it's since everything is transparent and everyone knows what everyone else is doing. I think it's also the salaries are fair, so everyone is filling out their role in that uh, in their position. So it's we can the company can easily say why that salary is like that. Plus the general idea, the general structure of the salary system between departments, between uh, levels, is market uh, market based. So we do have uh, we do have data upon which we rely to go to get those you know base salaries in, and, and then uh, calculate upon those uh, the location changes and things like that. Okay. And second question: What about the different taxation systems? Uh, how do you work about that? Do you calculate total company cost or what? 
Yes, we, we consider everyone in the company is a contractor, that they, they have their own company and they have to deal with their own taxes. There's just, too, that's too much. Like, as 10 people, that would be impossible to actually do for every location where we have because we have people in in Japan, the US, uh, obviously Slovenia, Ukraine, uh, Philippines, India. There's not a chance that we would be able to actually. And it's, it makes them more fair because they get that amount of money. They cost the, uh, the company that amount of money. And again, it, is, it usually works is if they have higher taxes, they probably have better social welfare in the co- country. But if they have lower taxes, then they probably have worse and they need to do some private insurance or anything like that. So it's actually, in, in, in my opinion, it's actually more fair that you just give them the whole amount and then they deal with everything else. Okay. Let's say, coming to the end of our conversation, let's say I have a few final questions. First one, let's say, is why bootstrap? Maybe some of the project, definitely WooCart is the one that could you could go VC funded road, let's say, let's say VC-backed company. So why bootstrapping? I think control. When when you get used to deciding on everything on your own, that you can decide where you want to go, what you want to do. I think it's just it's mostly control. And I I already stress enough when we make a mistake uh, and it's just our money. I don't want to think about burning someone else's money. Like I, it's just that would feel just so much worse. Uh, not to even mention then. If you really screw up the the pressure from from the VC, so it, it's it's still again both Nate and I read that it's I think it's important to have balance, and I think that would definitely uh, balance it way into like it wouldn't be worth it. So if some of the future product really again has let's say a stellar uh, traction, you would yeah. not think about getting VC backing to let's say uh, to increase the growth rate or something like that. I mean, you obviously never say never, uh, but I, I don't see it happening now. The last question is, if somebody like, is now thinking about starting the company and bootstrapping into the, let's say, some kind of product, do you have any kind of advice for them to make the, their life easier? I think with advice, it's really hard to give when you don't have... Um, it, it, it's, it has to be individual. And also, I learned a few years back you want to take advice from people who are once one or two steps before you, not more. So me giving advice to someone who's just starting out will probably not be that great. I don't know how it looks right now when you're starting out. The markets are completely different than when we started out. So um, I would be wary to give any actual advice. Can you let me then rephrase the question? Let's say, what kind of advice would you give to somebody to the booster company? That had one success that was great, but not let's say life changing completely, and are thinking about next project. Don't get arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dan. I think this is a great end uh, to our conversation today, uh, and thanks for sharing so openly all your experience. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and do not forget to tell your friends about it. I would really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available on www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. See you next week.